Good day, everyone. Welcome into the show, Paul George. Deacon Adam. Good day, Paul. How's it going? It's going great, my friend. Yeah, we got a good show today. Excited about it. Got uh, producer Chad in the studio as well. I'm not as good as accent accents. Can't just do them on command. You can't? No. I'm horrible I at can accents. do something, but it won't be like a specific one. It's just like a conglomeration of all the accents. Well, that's kind of what happens to me. I can start out in an accent, and then it ends up going into another one, mm. and then it just makes no sense. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun, actually. Like go from Australian to French. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like... Just an international man of mystery. That's what you are. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. No, I had the idea of doing an all-accent show, but I don't know if that's a good one. Oh, that's a good mm. idea. It'd be horrible. People would tune us out. So thanks for listening. Even Today, more we got than a, normal. We, we got a great show. Uh, if you listen in on the podcast or on the radio, KLFT, Catholic Radio for Acadiana, thanks for listening in. Um, yeah, lots to talk about today. But, uh, you know, as always, you know, uh, we're in like week whatever of wearing these masks. Man, are y'all mask fans? No. I don't know if I could answer get that. Yeah, without getting like, without losing no, my no, no, no. job. Not, not, not mask fans as far as like obeying the law. Oh, yeah. I'm all about obeying laws. I, know, I, feel, I feel like. I'm talking about like, could you just wear it for a long time and it doesn't bother you? That's my question. No, it bothers. Yeah, it bothers. Yeah. Yeah. The beard, it makes it sweat. That's true. I get really hot. Like, uh, yeah. you know, I get hot in general. I sweat easy. You know, so the, the mask just makes me really, really yeah. hot. It's starting yeah. to become a part of my routine now. It's like phone, wallet, keys, mask. I don't think we're created oh, to breathe our own breath <laughs> that close. Like, like we're actually humans created to, to breathe fresh air mm-hmm. and oxygen. I don't think it's super healthy for us to continue to, like, <laughs> keep the mask mm. on a long time. So, I'll I mean, tell you if, what, if you're I, in long periods of time, you probably shouldn't need to find a secluded place, take the mask off, and, like, breathe some fresh you oxygen. You just got to get, you gotta get some gum. Because I don't know about you, but when my breath smells bad, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> you really know it now. And yeah, now you know what other people experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Chad had to go oh, there. Gosh. Chad had to go there. <laughs> anyway, um, all right. So, Chad, do you have a heavy scene? Yes. What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real, though? So, two, two teenage girls in India, 14 years old. We're in a space program in India. Okay. Wait, I said that already. Where, <laughs> where, where was, was it? NASA and India. Oh, you didn't okay. say space program. Space India and NASA. <laughs> space. Is the name of the program. Where was it? <laughs> <laughs> and they discovered an asteroid near Mars that probably will hit the Earth in a million years. Really? A million years from now. It must be a very slow-moving asteroid. <laughs> Mars I think Mars Earth. is just far away. Yeah, I think it's some kind of orbit around there where like it, it moves a different way every time, moves two inches off or whatever, so in a million years it'll finally catch the Earth. Yeah. Well, here's what I do know yeah. about that, actually, Tell is me. that I will not be around when no. that asteroid hits. There's a good chance of that. Yeah. So I'm pretty certain of that, but, I mean, do they get paid for that? Is this like a discovery where it's like a royalty on the asteroid where they found it? And <laughs> You like, get to name it. They get to name it. You yeah. Get, you get to name the asteroid that destroys the Earth. Is that what? Congrats. <laughs> I'll name it after me. I guess they I guess they get to name it. So do you guys think the end of the world will come before a million years of that asteroid hits? I hope so. I pray for Jesus to come often. Um, <laughs> but look, I'll be dead long before that, so I probably won't care anymore. But my great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren, um, I, I think the world will end for them before that asteroid hits, yeah. Really? 
That's the hope. You never know. I mean, I know right now there's, you know, people are like, man, if Jesus come back, you know, it's so crazy. It's intense. It's, you know, it's depressing, a pandemic, an economic downturn, the whole thing, you know. The reality is, is that Jesus is present with us no matter what we're going through. And that's the great thing, right? Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not, you know, the end of the world comes, I mean, we know not the day or the hour. Right. But I think there are times, like, you're like, man, if we could just come back and, like, just end this whole thing and, you know, whatever. Yeah, but, what gets me longing for that is when the weight of sin hits me. And it comes in waves and at certain times. Like, for example, I have this cycle with the sin of abortion, you know, mm-hmm. where sometimes I'm thinking about it more, I'm contemplating it, its effect on our, our country, our world, and it just hits me, you know, like I just weep for this horrible thing that's happening, and the only solution is Jesus. You know, like it's not going to be a new law or a new... When Jesus comes back, there's no more abortion, right? Or like something like cancer or, you know, sicknesses that people deal with or the death of children you experience. It's like the only solution to this is Jesus coming back. It won't happen anymore. You know, this pain, mm-hmm. this heartache, this evil of, of separation from our loved ones. So that's when it makes me long for that day where God is no longer offended by human beings who dist- who murder children in the womb, you know? Yeah, and I think, you know, I feel that same sort of anxiety around the world because, you know, with with all the, you know, political, you know, agendas and you know, everything that's happening, uh, you know, all these solutions. And the reality is what what's so terrifying and heartbreaking is that uh, at the root of it all is just sin. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's evil. It's been around for so long. And no one wants to say that the, what the solution of that is, right? Which the solution mm-hmm. of that is what Deacon Adam is talking about is, is Jesus. Like he's the solution to you know, racial divide. Jesus is the solution to um, anxiety during a pandemic. Jesus is the solution to all the things that we're going through, but we don't want that to be the solution, not us. I'm just talking about like the world Mm -hmm. because the root of all this is, is sin and evil, you know? And, and those things are colliding. That's where I get overwhelmed. Kind of like you Mm -hmm. It's like, man, if that could just end, Right. You know, if the solution to that is if Jesus come back and like peace could enter the world, you know, that's that's kind of what I long for more than anything. Yeah, it's almost a terrifying reality to have like Jesus look at you and be like, "Hey, man, you're part of the problem, and I'm here to help." <laughs> you know, it's like it's a, it's a bit scary to to look at yourself that way. I don't know. It's it's a nice place to be in though to like be like, "Man, I hope Jesus comes back." Like you're content. Yeah, it's not like you have to do anything else before you die. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think we'll, you know, at the final judgment, I mean, we'll all be judged, right? And we'll look at Jesus face to face, <laughs> right? Like, and I, th- I do think about that. I think about that. And, but it, for me, that's a motivating factor of trying to live my life the way Jesus would. I don't always do it, right? Mm. And, I, and I do think about, like, just, you know, some, some sort of imagery of, like, I'm wondering, like, when I see Jesus face to face, if I'll see all all my sin, all the people that I didn't treat well, you know, all the, all the people I looked over, you know, any prejudice or, or hatred I ever had, I'll see those faces in the face of Jesus, right? And I will be completely, really repentant and convicted of, of uh, you know, what I've done to not create a world where, where God is, you know, fully alive. 
Yeah, there's a, ma- a maturation of the virtue of hope that I think you're kind of pointing on is that when we're when we're young in the faith or when our hope is not purified or matured, we focus a lot on what's going to happen to us in every scenario, mm-hmm. right? Like when I die, what's going to happen to me? And some and that can be very motivating. That that was very motivating for me. I remember in high school, I had a friend who died in a car accident. She was 14 years old, and it was very motivating for me. This this question that I couldn't answer: What if that was me? Where would I be right now? And I couldn't. I didn't have a secure answer to that. So it motivated me to invest more in the faith, right? But eventually, that needed to give way to a love for Christ that is not for me, but for Him. Mm-hmm. Like I love Him for Him, not because of what He does for me or promises me. Um, but just for him. And I love you for him too. So I don't just love you because what you do for me or give to me, but I love you because God loves you. And I think when when our hope realizes that there's a world to come that Christ has promised us in which there's no more offense given to God, there's no more sin where we hate one another in war or violence or sin, right? Like all of that is destroyed then I want that for humanity. Like, I want that for you and for you and for you. And I know I'm going to have to go through a judgment to get there. I know that I'm going to have to deal with my own sinfulness. And like Paul said, like, see every every one of my sins and imperfections and failings in perfect clarity, which is going to be awful. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. terrible. But mm-hmm. my hope is in Jesus Christ, who has promised me mercy if I show others mercy, if you, I give you mercy. One of the real signs of Christian maturity is to take ownership of your mistakes. Right. Mm-hmm. And and to like want to know and, and be convicted of them. Okay. Like I I want to see in the eyes of Jesus where I failed, where I didn't love like he loved, because I think it'll help me love better. You see what I'm saying? Um and I remember reading something uh from Pope Benedict when somebody asked him where he was writing about purgatory, or somebody asked him a question about or he explaining the question about purgatory, and there was this line in there that kind of that caught me. It said purgatory, purgatory will last as long as it takes for your your sins to to like how, however long your sins kind of keep going. Okay, I'm saying it. In, I'm kind of you know summing it up, mm. and that just like hit me. Like so, as as, as long as your sins play out. That's mm-hmm. how long purgatory is going to last. And I think, what? <laughs> you know? So in, in, in purgatory, no, you kind of are, are kind of th- th- this tape of your life, you know, and you're, it just kind of keeps going until, you know, that sin just kind of wears out. That's why the, the, the gravity of some sins, they become so generational that, that then the next generation kind of repeats that sin. I mean, think about that. That's scary. Mm-hmm. You know, if I were to, you know, abuse one of my kids and, and they become an abuser, you know, you know, and it, you see like the generational sin that keeps going. And we see that here. We see this on, you know, planet earth, you know, we're mm-hmm. talking about an asteroid in a million years, like on this earth, like we see that generational sin, you know, and what it takes is people like you and I, and people who are listening is to stop that generational sin um, and claim Christ over your life and over your family say i'm not going to repeat those sins and as much as i can like it and, and, and do penance for them and do important. penance for them absolutely yeah. Yeah, if you do if, if you do that and what you said is true then like you're freeing up some souls from purgatory you, you <laughs> see what i'm saying well that's what? the that's the idea of penance that's why we do yeah. it think yeah. about that and i think you make a good point there chad i didn't really think about that but if you know you know say my great-grandfather was an alcoholic 
and then my grandfather and then you know it kind of passed on just this sin of alcoholism and and what comes with that and then in my generation i just no more no more is that going to be a part of my life family i didn't even think about that i'm freeing the people for me who who committed those sins and it passed down. I don't know. This got way heavier than, than what, what <laughs> I was planning though, on yeah, in the yeah. first segment. It started with an asteroid. Just to let I you think know. about that. We, we kind of talked about it last time about, about wanting what's wanting your kids to be holier than you, you know, and like just, yeah, it, cause you experienced, you know, you experienced sin in your own family that, that carried on to wounds for you. And I have in my own family and you have in your own family and like you making a very strong effort to stop, and to, to, you know, raise your kids better than you were raised. And and that's it. And, and, I, and I think, you know, we all experience some broken, because we live in a broken world, but to be able to, to bring the healing of Jesus into your life and then into your family and kids, because the only thing that can sustain a generation and a person is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like sustain them from, from like, you know, living this sinful life. And I think it's hard for us in today's world to really understand this concept because we we view we view the world around us as something we make, we manipulate, we create. I mean everything is like that, you know? And so we see ourselves as something we've made by our choices. And that's one of the reasons it's hard for us to let go of our past sins and who we've become by our choices. Like I did these things, therefore I am not good, because we make everything around us, you know? Um but the Lord sees us as as we see our children, which is not the sum of our past failings, not the things that they've done already, but just someone they love now. And God is not someone who's the product of a bunch of acts. God is pure act, always and everywhere eternal. God is who he is, not who he's made himself to be. We have a similar dynamic. We are who we are. Who am I today? If I'm a Christian, I'm someone who loves Jesus, not the sum of my past failings, not the sum of my, you know, and I am called today to love him. And on that day, that great and terrible day of judgment, who will I be? I will be set free from all those sins that did hold me back from loving God completely, able to love him 100%. And it's, it doesn't matter who I, what I've done to make myself. What matters is my love for God that draws me to him in that moment to become who only God can make me, free from sin. That, that's my goal. I want to be free from sin that day. Um, it is a great and terrible trial to go through judgment for sure. But the hope is that God is going to guide me through that. God is going to love me through that. And God is going to draw out of me who I want to be completely his. Absolutely. Screw purgatory. Let's all just go to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> just go straight there. That but is look, plan A. <laughs> yeah. You know, following Jesus isn't easy. You know, when he comes and he speaks words of freedom to free us, some of those are really difficult. You know, we mm-hmm. look at this world of, of hatred, that, I mean, it really gets to me. Like hate is so anti-God, it's anti-Jesus, it's anti-His love, right? Just to have some hatred. Like Jesus comes and and He says, in a world of hate, even during His time, obviously, is love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do you know how hard that is? Right, so we're living in a world where like people aren't loving their enemies. It's hate, there's hate in the world. And the only solution to that, coming back to what you said earlier, Adam, is, is Jesus, right? When Jesus lives in your life, he allows you to see as he sees. You know, whoever that person is, whatever they look like, wherever they're from, whatever their social status, whatever their color, 
to love like he loves. Like, and so hate begins to kind of move out of your life and love takes the forefront. Why? Because that's the presence of God, right? And we live in this world of hate. I mean, I think the obviously the only solution is love, the love of Christ. I love what you said about freedom because really it all boils down to that is my past sins don't make me a broken person. They wound me. They hurt me. My past sins keep me bound today as long as I let them. Mm-hmm. And I'm the one who lets them. God can set me free from everything today that he wants to that would keep me from loving him. My sins don't make me a damaged product, but they do hold me bound, enslaved, as long as I let them, as long as I don't let God set me free from them. Yeah, and that's the beauty of Jesus. He sets us free. We give him permission. He can set us free from anything, anything. And that's... Even death. That's crazy. That's the beauty of it. You know, we can... We can see the world differently. All right. So bring on that asteroid. Bring it on. We come back. (laughs) Look, hey, a huge, huge saint today. Feast day we're going to talk about. Like he was large? I don't know. As a person? You'll find out when we come back. (laughs) The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in today on the podcast or on the radio. Deacon Adam Conk to my left, producer Chad to my right. You know we have to wear we have to wear Paul George. We have we have to wear masks coming into the studio, which is fine uh, because that's what we're supposed to do. But then you can take them off when you're in. Like you have to when you go to dinner. You can go to dinner somewhere. You got to wear your mask into the place. But when you sit down, you can take it off. There you go. Yeah. Just I don't like know how that. much I can comment on this. <laughs> it's just weird to me. But the first segment, this first segment just went, whoa, crazy. Yeah. You know, we went from an asteroid to sin, to purgatory, to Jesus. End of the world, judgment, hope, freedom, the gospel, basically. Mm. Yeah. But anyway. Glorious. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, So did it say if the the two girls from India named the asteroid? I Yeah, they get to. They get to. Once NASA, like, identifies it or something, they get to name it. Gotcha. They have to, like, I don't know, tag it or whatever they do. Nice. I don't know what a teenager would name an asteroid these days. Like, Earth Killer. What's that? Okay. Total Bummer. I don't know. They had a a poll. (laughs) They had a poll some years ago. (laughs) They had a poll some years ago where they asked what they wanted to name this new boat, and they named it Bodie McBoatface. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good name for the asteroid. Asteroid make asteroid face. <laughs> People in a million years will be so confused because <laughs> the news headlines: asteroid make asteroid face is about to kill us all. What you guys are experiencing is the two younger guys just on this humor that I don't get because I'm old. You get it, Paul. Yeah. Sort of, sort of not. So anyway, back to the saint feast day today. Big guy, and I don't mean big as in like. I don't know how much he weighed. No, he wasn't tough. Probably not. I don't think he was pretty, pretty thin. A huge, huge guy. Saint Ignatius of Loyola. 
That's a guy. That's a, that's a pretty famous saint. Yeah, he is. Big dude. Founder of the Jesuits. I actually read his biography. It's something of an autobiography. Um, what happened was he talked to a friend about his life, and then the friend wrote it down. So it's it's his words. Um, it's brief. But I read it about it, I guess, a year ago for the first time. And I realized, like, wait a minute, I've never read this? It, it fascinated me. I mean, he really is a fascinating figure in the history of the church because we've gotten used to him. But, I mean, this guy came out of nowhere with... He ended up getting seminary education after, but like his formation was just in prayer. Well, a lot of his original (laughs) formation was just human formation. He was a man's man. He was in the military and, um, you know, he was, he was like going up the ranks of the military and he got hit by a cannonball. That's what it says. You imagine getting hit by a cannonball. (laughs) I mean, there's one thing I get like, it'd be hard to avoid like a bullet, but like a cannonball is like, there it is. Here it comes. Anyway, he got hit by it um, and uh, ended up in the hospital, right? Um, so he had this military background, kind of kind of going up the ranks, and then his life got, got sidelined, and, you know, which was, you know, probably God at work. Mm-hmm, totally. You know? And he began to pray and read about the saints. And his life got blown apart. Yeah. <laughs> he had a spiritual... Just like his leg. <laughs> yeah, pretty much a spiritual cannonball. Like, just hit him. You know, mm-hmm. wrecked his life, and it changed everything, you know. Um, but there's no way you and I will ever have the impact on the church that that man did. No. It's crazy what God did with this man's life. So much so that there was a nickname for whoever was running the Jesuits as the Black Pope, meaning the one that was wearing the black robe. But mm-hmm. the leader of the Jesuits became second only to the Pope in influence on the church worldwide. When the Jesuits were missionary, you know, and converting the world. Yeah, all the schools they have. I mean, I you got to look back at the history of the Jesuits. I mean, one of the famous writings of St. Le- uh, Ignatius of Loyola, the spiritual exercises. I mean, literally just the teaching someone how to pray and discern. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's beautiful and amazing. You know, and, they, and there's all these things now because we live in the contemporary times of like, oh, well, the, the Jesuits, you know, whatever. I don't care what your everybody has a good Jesuit joke. I don't, <laughs> you know, wh- whatever your opinions are, the, you know, just throw them out the window. Let's yeah. let's go back in history. Like Ignatius of Loyola is a saint, mm-hmm. fell in love with Jesus, was a radical disciple and missionary of Jesus Christ. Uh, went to the Holy Land so much so, if you're a saint, you're probably making other saints. So uh, St. Francis Xavier, they Mm. were friends. Yes. Okay, so like usually what you find is like really holy saints um, have other people that are saints with them. You know, St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah, and I was just about to bring him up. St. Ignatius of Loyola really is another Francis where God just comes out of nowhere. So it's not like St. Thomas Aquinas, okay? Love St. Thomas Aquinas, but you can see his brilliance and intelligence was matched with a great formation. You know, like mm-hmm. he learned a lot and he was yeah. brilliant and he did great things from that beautiful life. St. Ignatius of Loyola, St. Francis, it's like God came out of nowhere, dropped this bomb of grace that resonated throughout the church for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. It's insane what God has done through St. Ignatius of Loyola. What, so what were the prominent, I mean, St. Ignatius of Loyola, like Protestantism was becoming pretty prominent, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Around his time. Yeah. What was it for St. Francis of Assisi? Do you, was there anything like that? 
Well, it was just corruption in the church was the main issue. Yeah, it was a big time of of reformation in the church, of reform, of getting back to the gospel. I I think we're kind of in that time right now, honestly, is a time of of reformation, of like getting back to the truth of the gospel, you know, away from, from like political structures. And I'm even talking about like, you know, religious political structures mm-hmm. and like getting back to the heart of the gospel and who Jesus was. And, and when you look at the, the highlight of some of these major saints in history, you know, um, Thomas Aquinas, you know, Augustine, you know, Assisi, St. Francis of Assisi, Ignatius of Loyola, they, God, you know, raised up these saints in critical times of reformation for the church mm. to call people back to the gospel. And what, what Ignatius of Loyola did in his conversion attracted people and then they just started going out into the world and preaching the gospel. I mean, yep. we, you, know, you think about like how many of the Jesuits died literally at the hands of evil people because they were preaching the gospel. Missionary martyrs in the history of the church, probably most of them Jesuit. Yep. Aren't, aren't most of the saints, like the, the Jesuits have the most saints out of the religious orders? Something I've heard before. Because they're so missionary, I think. I mean, yeah. how are you going to get killed for the faith? You go where they don't have faith and you tell them they should have faith. <laughs> yeah, That's just, how it gets done. And martyrdom. <laughs> you know, martyrdom is like a fast track to sainthood, right? Mm-hmm. And Ignatius wanted to live in the Holy Land, but, you know, he visited the Holy Land, but he ended up, God brought him back to Rome. Where, you know, he talked about uh, Adam is, you know, he was like second to the Pope. Like the, and it wasn't about like political influence. It was about spiritual influence, the spiritual influence that he had to keep the church about the gospel and sending people out from Rome to the world. I mean, and that's what really what the church should be about. What Rome should be about is like sending out uh, missionaries to the world to preach the gospel, to live it. And well, I would love something to sink in for us American Catholics today. No Ignatius of Loyola you and I would not be Catholic. It's very true. If you didn't have Jesuits come to the New World to spread the gospel, we would not have faith Mm. in the New World. That is how God chose to spread the faith through Jesuits from Mexico up to Canada. And we would not be here without that. I promise. Like, that is how God chose to do it. And so, again, I think Paul brought up a great point. There's a lot of contemporary issues with the Jesuits in the church and, and whatever else. But we owe our faith to this man, St. Ignatius of Loyola, because if God would not have exploded in his life, you and I would not know Jesus Christ. Mm. And here's the thing. Like, if you're in, listen to this, and you're in midlife, mid-age, like maybe myself, okay? <laughs> this is bring you hope. In 1534, at the age of 43, he and six others, one of whom was St. Francis Xavier, okay, uh, vowed to live a life of poverty and chastity, you know, the religious vows, and to go to the Holy Land. They went, but they ended up um, taking a vow to offer themselves in apostolic service of the Pope. Hello? Um, later became the only choice. For years later, Ignatius made the association of, you know, the Jesuits, as we know today, permanent. And from there, you know, they were, uh, Pope Paul III, you know, approved it. Um, and Ignatius was elected the first general, you know, and then his companions were sent on various missions by the Pope. So it's crazy. At 43. Yeah. I mean, think about that. Like, that's how we should be in service to the church and the Pope, that the Pope could look at folks and look at religious orders and say, go. Well, that's what Jesus did. Be sent. Hello. What? 
yes. <laughs> That's why I think I, in a, on a spiritual level, like we're, we're in a time of reformation. Like God is going to have to rise up like extremely holy people that, that can um, not be afraid to be sent out into the world. And, you know, we, we live now in so many areas of a post-Christian society, mm-hmm. post-Christian world, post-Christian belief, you know. I think that's what's so, you know, hard about our culture today is because we've gotten so far away from it. When Paul, you actually remind me of saying, Ignatius, because all of this holy energy that just exploded in the church came through one basic principle that St. Like Saint Ignatius was all about. This is what he talked about. This is what he preached about. This is what he wrote about. Discernment. The foundation of that missionary energy, the foundation of that holiness, the foundation of that courage and zeal, discernment. What is God actually asking you to do? <laughs> like that's the basic yeah. foundation of his whole life, the discernment of spirits, the spiritual exercises. It's all based on this reality that people need to discern what God is calling them to do in their life and commit everything to it. That is Jesuit spirituality. That is this energy. That is St. Ignatius of Loyola. And when he would go on the streets to preach, this is literally what he would do. He would say, Chad, Paul, tell me about your day. What would you do today? All right, let's go through that day with eyes of discernment now. Let's see where God was, what he was calling you to do, and how tomorrow you can respond with generosity. That's, what he, that's how he preached. And so, uh, you know, in this time of renewal that Paul's talking about in the church, I think this is a great foundation, discernment. How are we going to renew ourselves if we aren't listening to Jesus? Yeah, I mean, one of the famous sayings of the Jesuits, you know, for the greater glory of God, right? Like, that's their tagline, ad majorium de gloria, right? It's in Latin, it's for the greater glory of God. Like, everything is about God. You know, that's the beauty of the witnesses of religious orders is that, you know, at the heart of a religious order is like everything is about God. You know, our life, Should be, yeah. our dress, <laughs> our actions, um, our poverty, you know, our chastity, everything, you know, and our we're, we're just centered on that. Yes, it should be, you know. Um, you know, and as you grow, like, as the Jesuits did, they grew so fast and, and all over the world. And, and like you said, Adam, like, we wouldn't, you know, our our world wouldn't be, you know, the United States, you know, wouldn't have found Catholicism. You wouldn't have San Diego. It's founded by a Jesuit. You wouldn't have Sacramento, San Francisco. Like all of, literally our country, you wouldn't have any of that without the Jesuits. It's all California. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you wouldn't have, you know, a lot. You know, you talked earlier to chat about all the schools and the foundation. Like just, mm-hmm. just yeah, every, the, every the, major city has a Jesuit school. Teachings uh, of, of the faith. You know, as you grow, you experience problems. I don't know if you guys have ever watched on TV uh, the show Undercover Boss. You know, yeah, so like, <laughs> like a CEO of like a big franchise or, you know, company goes undercover to kind of see what's going on, you know, as they've grown, you know, like what's really happening on the ground level, you know, and I, I love the show because, you know, they find a lot of issues or problems and as they've grown, you know, understandably so, like, you know, maybe people get away from like the true mission of the company, right? Uh, and then, then you find people who are really doing it. I think, you know, as, as the Jesuits grew so much, you know, if, if St. Ignatius could have come back and did an undercover boss and like going around, he could have fixed some of maybe the issues as they grow into the problem. But that's just kind of, you know, what happens in growth. And I, and I think, you know, if it's a true religious order ordained by God and the Holy Spirit, eventually they come back to what they're about, mm-hmm. you know, 
And yeah, well, Jesus is the undercover boss that makes yeah. his way into all the religious orders and says, "Hey, our <laughs> stuff together." Or shuts the company down. Yeah, you or know? shuts it down. Shuts down the franchise. Yeah, yeah. shuts down the franchise. Yeah, you know, we've done a good bit of that this this century. Um, but everything from like <laughs> schools to spirituality centers and retreat centers. I mean, you think about that, like the Jesuits, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, his his retreats are still some are still the greatest retreats to to go on for yourself. And maybe I, maybe that's a bold statement, but no, the spiritual no, exercise because true. before him, we didn't think that word retreat didn't mean what it meant before Saint Ignatius of Loyola. Or he discernment. literally invented the retreat experience that you and I know so well, like that was his invention. Mm-hmm. Right. Or discernment. <laughs> it's like, great. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, his big thing was he, his own conversion became the model of how he taught others to convert to Christ, right? So he's he's sick, he's lying in bed, he's used to reading stories about knights and things like that that kind of inspire his heroism as a soldier. And so he asked if they have anything like that in the house, the people that were taking care of him. And they said, no, we don't have anything like that, but we do have the life of Christ and the lives of the saints. So I said, all right, bring that to me. And he starts reading the lives of the saints and the life of Christ, and he sees them as heroic. Like he sees them as like knights and things like that, accomplishing great things. And so he found that sometimes he would think a lot about the saints and about Jesus, and sometimes he would think a lot about the old stories of knights and gallantry. And and look, he was also a womanizer, right? He was a lustful man mm-hmm. before that. So we think about those kinds of things. And he noticed over time that when he would think about worldly things, he would feel pleasure in the moment, but then later be sad, like when he was in that zone. When we thought about the Lord and thought about the lives of the saints, he would be he would feel pleasure too, like, wow, this is cool. But it would last. The joy would last. And so this mm-hmm. is the discernment of spirits. He discerns his own spirit and how it responds to the will of God for him. And mm-hmm. he would think about, like, why can't I be another Francis? Why can't I be another Dominic? And this would arouse him to, like, heroism. And that would last. That joy would last. Whereas when he thought about committing sin and doing worldly things once he got better, he would, he would be sad, you know? So this discernment idea that what God calls me to is, is greatness for him um, and that it has an effect on our spirit. Like when we find God's will, it's a source of joy and energy that is inexhaustible. That really is the foundation of what he would teach people. And a lot of people misinterpret that as like, follow your heart, whatever your heart says. He's saying, follow the will of God. One of the ways you'll know it's God's will is over time, it brings you a profound joy that can't be taken away. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is where we get the words consolation and desolation, you know, in prayer, things like that, that, you know, through his exercises, teaches us how to, how to pray and discern, you know, with obviously Jesus at the center of all that, you know? So, you know, I can't imagine, I would love to know the book that he read because this was in the 1500s. So, you know, the, the archive of saints, you know, of that he was reading about, I mean, we, you know, you think about you know, how much more, more saints that we have or how much, you know, knowledge of those saints we have now. I, I want to know what saints he was reading, and I'm, I'm going to try to find that out. Well, the out. top two, St. Francis of Assisi and St. Dominic. So that time period, like the 1200s, that was where he was zoning in. And he really did become another Francis. Like, right. he said, why couldn't I do that? He literally did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. And, and look, those two religious orders are still around. Mm-hmm. You know, 500 years later, you know, 700 years later. All three later. of those, St. Dominic too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's when you know it's of the Holy Spirit. 
always say, you know, if it's of God, it's going to, it's going to last, it's going to sustain, you know, cause you know, even through the trials and tribulations, like, like God's going to be at the center of it. If it's of him, it's going to last. And I don't know, I haven't, you know, started a religious order that's lasted 500 Not years. Not yet. So. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. We'd wear t-shirts and jeans. <laughs> well, I don't know what. V-necks. <laughs> Oh, the, uh, but you have started a family that could last well, there you go. for that long. That is yeah, maybe sort of like nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine years, and the asteroid hits. Well, that's uh, that is you know See, that's a long time. All right, not to get off subject because we take a break here, but that is, that is you know as as husbands, you know, our religious orders, you know, our families, you know, in a sense. So, all right, we're gonna take a break, and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in today. Uh, good show going on. All right, so here's the here's the question. And if you don't know this, where this question is coming from, if you're just listening in on the podcast, go back and listen to the beginning. Um so if you could name the asteroid, like if they called you, <laughs> what would you name it? Oh, man. This is not the six-pack of questions, by the way. <laughs> I would call it Hammer. Hammer? Mm. I would call it Ash Droid. Because when it hits, we're just all going to be ashes. Nice. Mm. Yeah. I still like Asteroid make Asteroid face. But <laughs> <laughs> second choice would be just Chad. Chad. <laughs> Chad, like, if, are you old enough? Chad? I want to be credited with destroying the world. Are you old enough to know what uh, a Chad is on a on a ballot? Yes. Okay. You're there's like there was like hanging hanging Chads, right? Hanging Chads all around. Yeah. Okay, so you're old enough to know what that is. Yeah, I think it was before my time, but I heard about it. Okay. My mom, my mom worked at the courthouse, so I can't okay. tell because your beard. But are, are you a dimpled Chad? Because that was a thing, a dimpled Chad. Oh, I haven't heard that, but I do have a. I don't have a dimple on my chin, but I have a butt chin, if that's what you're saying. We'll count it. You're a dimple chat. No, the dimple chat was where it was like pushed in, but it wasn't like, oh, it, no, it was just a that. little dimple on the ballot, and so they decided to count he it. He kind of is a hanging chat. He's hanging out in, <laughs> yeah. in here. He's hanging out. Anyway, All right. Yeah. So we're talking about St. Ignatius of Loyola, you know, in the second segment. Great conversation. I mean, a wonderful saint. You know, if you have time to read about you know, the lives of the saints, read about St. Ignatius of Loyola. You have time to go on a retreat, pray with the spiritual exercises, you know, learn more about the sermon. I mean, like he's the guy, right? Like he's, you know, and, you know, there's a lot there. So I was reading about, you know, this Sunday's gospel, um, you know, August 2nd, Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 through 21. Uh, it's the multiplication of the loaves and fish. But at the beginning of that gospel, it says this, I think it, it's kind of cool. It says, when Jesus heard of the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew in a boat in a deserted place by himself. And I love that image, right? Like Jesus, oftentimes you, see, you read in the Gospels where Jesus just like goes off by himself. I mean, what's he doing? You know, smoking a cigar, like chilling? No. <laughs> like 
he's going off by himself to pray, you know, and to reflect. And, you know, you talked about the movements of the spirit and God, you know, this, this sort of consolation, superficial consolation earlier, Adam. And I mean, you know, the originator of discernment is Jesus, you know, who prayed to the father and, you know, learned to recognize the father's will and his identity in prayer and all those things that Jesus would go off and pray. Um, this is, you know, this is what we see in Loyola, Ignatius of Loyola. I think a lesson we can learn from the Lord and from St. Ignatius, who's helped us to do this, is the Lord marked important transitions of his ministry and his life by retreat. So we just finished Matthew 13, which was mainly a teaching chapter. In Matthew, there's a lot of Jesus teaching. He's healing and stuff, but there's a lot of teaching from Jesus. We have the Sermon on the Mount. We have all the not all of them, but a lot of parables. Matthew yep. 13 is just straight parables, right? Finish teaching the crowds, and then he's now going to transition to perform this mighty miracle and begin like a new chapter in his ministry. He marks the transition by a retreat, by going off by himself and praying. This is what he did before the baptism, right? He went into the desert for 40 days on retreat. And uh, you and I, our life is, is broken up into chapters. We don't know what those chapters are. We discover them one chapter at a time, but God knows what they are. And I think, I know this is true for me, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I get this hunger for retreat that ends up being a turning of a chapter. In other words, like that retreat not only was needed for my rest and my um, relationship with Jesus, but it marked, like you can look at how it marked a change in my ministry and my life. Hmm. Retreats are important for that. They're important for the Lord. Absolutely. You know, it goes on to say in the gospel, it says when Jesus disembarked, and saw the vast crowd, his heart was moved with pity for them, right? Like just the compassion uh, for folks. Like, he, you know, and he cured the sick. Uh, and then it was evening, the disciples approached him and said, so deserted place, dismiss the crowds uh, so they go to the village and buy food for themselves. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're going to feed them. Like the compassion, like not only we're going to see them for who they are, we're going to heal the sick. Uh, but it's getting late. No, we're not sending them away. Like, you're going to feed them. So figure out how to feed them. They come back, right? This is the famous loaves and fishes. They don't, you know, they, they don't have enough to feed the crowds. Uh, and, um, you know, it says they have five loaves and two fish are all uh, we have here. Then he said to him, bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He said the blessing, broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples who in turn gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. Um, you know, this gospel, the loaves and the fishes, you know, he feeds the crowd. This is, you know, obviously a, an imagery of the Eucharist, you know, of, of what's to come in the Eucharist and of Mass as well, where we eat and we're satisfied. What is it that satisfied them? Was it, was it the fact that they ate a lot of fish and bread, or was they satisfied because they were fed by Jesus? It's an interesting thought. It is an interesting thought. Mm -hmm. I wonder if the crowds were, like, they, they also knew of the John the Baptist's death and were just terrified, like, frightened. I mean, it's 5,000 people. They're like, oh, man, maybe they're coming for Jesus next. Right. I don't know. Well, and you see in the Old Testament that when you had a transition of periods, let's say Elijah to Elisha. Mm-hmm. Elisha performed a miracle so people would know that he was every bit of Elijah. Moses to Joshua. Joshua parts the Jordan River 
mm-hmm. to show that he is every bit of a leader. The spirit that God gave to Moses is now on Joshua, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what you see here in a, in a real way is the Lord showing that what God was doing in John the Baptist, he is now fulfilling. That God, you know, with the death of John, his ministry is over. The preparation time is over. And now it's the fulfillment time. And he's marking it by this amazing miracle for the people. And you're right, Chad, I think one of the reasons this is a vast crowd is so that the vast crowd can know that what God was doing in John the Baptist, he is fulfilling in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Yes. And even John would admit that he wasn't the Christ, right? He wasn't worthy to even strap the sandals on on Jesus' feet. But, you know, the imagery here where it says they ate and were satisfied, you know, as we go back to the conversations we're having today, you know, um, about just the, it being Jesus being the answer, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus being the answer to our own life, our own sin, our own woundedness. Jesus being the answer to the world. Uh, Jesus was the answer in the time of St. Ignatius uh, to the point where in Jesus that we're satisfied, you know? And I think that's a, that's a question we all have to ask ourselves is like, what is it that satisfies us? Because, you know, there's so many things that we want to satisfy us, you know, a better job or more money or, you know, more fame or more people liking us or more friends or, you know, and some of those things aren't necessarily bad things. But if those are the things that satisfy us, we're going to go back to Ignatius here, Adam, is that those are superficial consolations. And there's a moment of satisfaction, but it wanes, it wears off, right? But the thing that satisfies us eternally, long term, like in the movement of our heart is being satisfied in Jesus, knowing that we're sons, daughters of God, that we're divinely affiliated, that that our identity is found in Christ, that we're saved, we're transformed, we're forgiven. Those are the things that satisfy us long-term. Yeah, I think I think St. Ignatius really speaks to that too, in the sense that like when we don't reflect on what satisfies us and what we're looking for, we sort of like apathetically go through life and we just like, okay, uh, I need this to satisfy me. I need this to satisfy me, and I'm just not feeling it right now. So this must be the reason. And then we like blame this one person for all of our woes and our misgivings and the things that we struggle with. It's like our boss or our spouse or whatever, and never really take time to reflect on, you know, why and what I'm what is actually going on, and like turn to Jesus. Like, oh, this is the these are the things that satisfy me. Like, invite Jesus into that silence, into the into the, yeah, your own prayer, which is what Ignatius is encouraging, right? Absolutely. Like bring Jesus into your prayer and reflect and allow him to show you what you actually long for and where your woes actually lie. Like, what do you, what is actually the cause of your suffering? And maybe you'll realize like, hey, it's actually, actually my own sin. To me, it's fascinating that how simple all this really is, is that when we're in the presence of Christ and we know it, we are satisfied. When we're not in his presence, we're restless and unsatisfied. It really is that simple. Anxious, yeah. And the whole goal of all of the spiritual project is to keep our attention on the presence of Christ who is always present to us. Like, that's always the goal. And when we have our attention on him, we are satisfied because the only satisfaction is to be in the presence of Christ. That's it. Yeah. To be with him is everything. Mm-hmm. He's always with us, but our attention is not always on him. And... um you know, what I love about Paul's ministry, The Art of Living, is it's very Ignatian in that the whole goal 
is to go through your daily life and realize Christ is always present to you in your marriage, in your work, in your business, in your life. Like the, the art of accompaniment, the art of the coaching Paul does is, is not to get a new life necessarily. We want a new life, but the new life is a life always in the presence of Christ. And it's going to look different for everybody, right? Like we're all going to have a different calling, a different vocation. That's why we need to discern where God is leading us in the presence of Christ throughout our day. That satisfies the heart. Nothing else does. Yeah, Paul has a story in his book about the, and, I, and I've heard you do it in a talk before, about the guy that's traveled around the whole world and realizes he's not, and he's still not satisfied. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, we can travel the whole world looking for what the heck is the solution to my dissatisfaction mm-hmm. and realizing that it's just in us, like Jesus is already there. Well, I think that's the, the, the root of it all. Like if we don't find satisfaction in Christ, which I know sometimes is really difficult, right? Yeah, to, oh, for sure. Because there's so many distractions. But if we don't get back to being going to a deserted place to pray, uh, as it says in the gospel, and finding satisfaction in Jesus, we will simply, I know I will, just jump from one thing to the next to satisfy us. Mm-hmm. You know, And those aren't always maybe sinful things, but... But there'll be sort of worldly things that will, you know, well, if I just make more money or if I can go do this and do that and, you know, it, it, it fulfills me for a moment. And then it, it like we said, it, it wears off and we will spend our life doing that, just going in circles around the world, trying to satisfy this hunger that we have, you know, and Ignatius did that too. Like he was, you know, living a worldly life on the fast track, you know, just you know, doing everything he wanted. And what happened? Like his life had to stop and be still for a moment. He was stuck in a hospital bed where he read about the saints and God intervened. That's the problem. If we don't stop and allow uh, our lives to slow down, then we don't reflect at all and pray at all about where's God in the midst of my life? You know, am I living this art of living that God created me to live? We don't do that. We stay too busy. And it takes that going off to a deserted place with the Lord out of our daily routine to then realize that Christ is enough for us, even if nothing else changes about our life. Like if I go back from retreat, if I go back to my day-to-day and nothing changes, I have the same job, the same spouse, the same kids, the same whatever. If nothing else changes except Christ, I'm aware of his presence more, that is enough. Like the presence of Christ was enough in this situation. All they needed was Jesus to feed 5,000 people. And it wasn't the skill or ingenuity or creativity of the apostles or disciples that God had done. It was the presence of Christ. Same disciples, same church structure. Again, like if only our church was, was better structured or we were in, all we need is Jesus. Mm. He's enough. If nothing else changes then we pay more attention to Jesus, that is enough. Yeah. I can tell you, you know, during this whole pandemic, which I thought was going to last two weeks, and now we're in <laughs> five months <laughs> because all the experts said it was, uh, this has been an extremely uncomfortable time for me, you mm-hmm. know, because, you know, for a lot of my work has been canceled and, you know, just done for the year. Like I've had some very uncomfortable time, you know, to like think and not do anything. And, you know what what it's what it's done though is saying what are for me like what are the places where I'm not trusting in God enough where I'm not you know where 
you know, I'm not um, relying on him enough, that I'm not satisfied enough in just him. Like, how much was I just satisfied with my being busy and working? You know, like, I, I'm having to reflect and, like, you know, really battle, you know? And like Ignatius, his life was stopped. I'm sure he wanted to be back fighting. I'm sure he wanted to be busy again. And there's times in our lives where God intervenes and slows us down. Sometimes it's, it's beyond our will. Like it just, it happens. And we use that opportunity um, to grow in trust, to like ask the Lord, like what are ways that you're trying to grow, grow me right now spiritually mm -hmm. so that I can rely on you more and trust in you more and be about you more. And sometimes th those things we don't, we don't choose. Like we didn't choose this pandemic or the loss of our job or someone dying. We don't choose some of these things that happen that, that, are opportunities for God to intervene in our life and to make us holier. Yeah, and it's often the case that God will let us get very poor materially and spiritually and psychologically, all of it, to then multiply everything. So this boy had very little. So these grown men didn't have much, right? Like you had a group of adults that didn't really have much or they weren't willing to give it. I don't know. But when... When the poverty, the little bit was given to Jesus, he made it abundance. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of us, Christ first calls us to poverty, even materially, so that then he could bring about the abundance. I mean, Mother Teresa, I love to use her example, but I mean that St. Francis, Ignatius of Loyola, this call to poverty that could last a while, that then leads to an abundance. Not that we own the abundance, the abundance of the gospel, the abundance of the fruit of salvation for more souls. And so for a lot of us, it's very uncomfortable and uh, not attractive in the faith. And maybe the church will be more effective if we embrace the, the poverty God's given us to be a vehicle of abundance of the gospel. Mm. Um, because when we search after the, the G5 plane and the, uh, you know, the full calendar of speaking events, like the, the Catholic celebrity thing, like when we go for the gold, um, our fruit goes down. And no one remembers that person hundreds of years later, like St. Ignatius of Loyola, who we're talking about today. I'll let you guys ponder a question that I just thought that I should ask myself. Would I rather a million dollars, okay, or never worry again? What would I rather? You know, and I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking, oh, the million dollars would be nice. I wouldn't worry about a lot of things, but I would worry again. But to never worry again, like when Jesus talks in the Gospels, like, why worry? Why worry? He goes over and over. Why worry? I take care of everything. Like to wake up and just not worry, like to trust that Jesus is going to, no matter what's happening, to have that sense of trust that, that God's in charge of your life and leading you. Like that, I think I want that more than a million dollars. Like mm -hmm. if I just were real honest. I would just want that. I want the million dollars so that I don't worry. That's the that's the the Catholic both and reason. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> right. What I'm saying is, right. The yeah. reason you want the million dollars is you don't want to financially worry anymore. Right. But like, yeah. But I think that's a beautiful message. So, like, well, you will. Not you worry. You worry like, is it going to run out? Or are you going to worry yeah. like you're still going to worry about like your kids? You're going to worry about you know whatever. You're going to worry about a lot of other things. You know, because money doesn't solve solve it completely. But just to trust totally, man, that would be the greatest gift. But that's the message of the gospel. The paradox is that the path to not worrying is poverty. That's wild. The poorer we get, 
the more we depend on God yeah. and he multiplies, like he provides. Um, well, we don't have to go to the store to buy the bread and the fish. He's going to give us bread and fish. Amen to that. We're going to, we're going to end with that mic drop right there from Deacon Adam. <laughs> All right, you can get the show on podcast, uh, Google Play, SoundCloud, or iTunes. Share it uh, with other folks. Uh, you can go to Discover the Art of Living. You can donate to support the show, as well as uh, reach out about our marriage coaching, our life coaching stuff that we're doing. Uh, it's filling up. Lots of good things happening there. We could do it over Zoom, you know, uh, so that's been really, really good uh, for folks um, who have been reaching out. And, and I just uh, got to reiterate, because we were talking about earlier, the difference that St. Ignatius made in the world. Like when you have someone accompanying you in your life, talking about your life, it's different than a talk or like a video to watch. Mm -hmm. When you get someone who's going to talk to you about your wake up routine, your prayer life as a family, um, and coach you through the art of living that with Christ, this is what St. Ignatius did and why it was so powerful. And the Art of Living will do that for you. So check it out. Absolutely. And thanks to our awesome sponsors, Chad and Adam, for your help. And uh, KLFT Radio, Catholic Radio for Katie Anna for all their support. All right, talk to you guys next week. God bless.